Welcome to episode 10 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn here. Uh, we're pushing double digits here. This is the uh, podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. Um, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to ask James what he has been watching lately. Uh, the best thing I've seen recently was uh, Ingmar Bergman's Cries and Whispers, which is uh, just a really well-acted, just like really emotional story about a woman who's dying at her her home and her sisters come to like comfort her, but everyone kind of has their own backstory and it's just a really well done Bergman film. Probably, probably my favorite one uh, up there with like Seventh Seal and Persona. It's yeah. like really amazing. I've, I've only seen his black and white work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like a, so many titles in his catalog that I feel like I haven't, um, I just feel overwhelmed when I look at it because he's just yeah. one of the greatest directors of all time. Yeah, and this is like one of his later films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in color, right? It is in color, yeah. And yeah, if you can, you should definitely watch it because it's, it's really, really good. But anyway. well, yeah, when we did the, uh, you made me watch Seventh Seal for the website mm-hmm. and then uh, I went back and watched, that was my first Bergman ever. No, no, no. I watched uh, Persona around that time Persona, as well. Yeah. And I, that one kind of blew my mind. Uh, and I really liked Through a Glass Darkly. I watched mm-hmm. that for that um, for that podcast, for that uh, movie of the month conversation. Yeah. Um, but I'm still so far behind. I need to check out Cries and Whispers and like Hour of the Wolf ASAP. Definitely. And Virgin Spring, too. Oh, yeah. That seems remember. really messed but up. It, anyway, what... Uh, so what have you seen lately? Uh, I've been watching a lot of summertime kind of out there <laughs> goofy eccentric movies lately I watched that Blake Lively uh, versus a shark movie The Shallows which is kind of mm-hmm. a fun little thriller it, it doesn't like reinvent the wheel or anything but it's yeah. it's a lot more entertaining than you'd expect uh, and I watched that Harry Potter farting boner movie uh, with Swiss Army, Army Man, Man. definitely want to check that out uh, yeah. which was really fun and imaginative uh, I, I kind of lost it a little bit halfway into it but we'll, we'll talk about it more after mm-hmm. we've seen it um, what else did I see uh, I was really into um, the movie The Fits, which only played here for about a week. Uh, it's this really amazing drama about this girl who's like training to be a boxer, and then she joins a dance team instead. Yeah. And then these like supernatural epidemic of seizures start like taking over the dance team, and no one knows why. Very interesting. It's so weird, and it keeps changing uh, track every now and then, and it's just hard to like keep up with what genre the movie's supposed to be in mm-hmm. and then it leaves you with like this amazing feeling at the end uh, it's cool. one of the best things I've seen all year but also last night I watched this movie Southbound um, which is this horror anthology uh, from one of the collaborators from VHS which was one from a few years back this is way better than that it's kind of like Triangle mm-hmm. um, in that it's this uh, supernatural horror it's got kind of a purgatory feel to it where everything's cyclical and just off in this like nightmarish kind of way and you can't tell why mm-hmm. uh, but the thing I wanted you to see it for was that David Yao from Scratch Ass and Jesus, Jesus Lizard, Lizard. Yeah, uh, he's awesome. in the movie um, and I know he's popped up in a couple movies before but usually for like you know like 10 seconds yeah uh, He's got he's got a pretty significant part in this, so you definitely need to see it. Does he just play a crazy person? He's like, like wielding a shotgun and like trying to break his sister out of this supernatural hell that she does she doesn't want to leave. That sounds <laughs> awesome, dude. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's it's 
it starts off kind of like that scene in Near Dark where uh, Bill Pullman's like holding this bar hostage with the mm-hmm. vampires, except the uh, situation's reversed. Where uh, the, the bar's like full of vampires. There's <laughs> just one guy with a shotgun. That sounds um, really good. But yeah, it's it's on Amazon Prime, so it's pretty easy to get a hold of it. Uh, you should definitely check that out. Definitely. Um, speaking of horror movies, what are we watching today? So uh, I made you watch Martyrs. Oh yeah. A, uh, <laughs> the um, so it's kind of a controversial, notorious film that came out in the I think like 2008. It's part of the wave of like. French extreme horror movies that came out during that time and uh, Martyrs is pretty much the like standard bear of of that whole wave of films and uh, yeah it's kind of one of those things I'd put off watching for a while because I'd heard so many kind of polarizing I've avoided this movie it. Um, myself for years <laughs> but then I, then I actually I sat down and watched it and I really enjoyed it and yeah. so I was like alright well I'm going to make Brandon watch it <laughs> I can he say can for sure. With me. I can say for sure. I never would have watched this movie unless you made me. So. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> so I owe that experience to you. And then, uh, <laughs> what else are we going to be digging into today? Uh, our friend Brian's coming back. Uh, Brian Perkins was on our AI sci-fi episode a few weeks back. Um, he's going to be here talking about our top ten time travel movies of all time. Uh, and this is going to be it's going to be a point of contention yeah. for me and James because we. We're arguing about a couple of the selections. Already. It already. hasn't started. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Martyrs are so very rare. So extraordinary. They survive the pain, the torture, and they refuse to die. He told me how perfect I was. That I was the one that they'd all been waiting for. Martyrs endure the unspeakable sins of the earth and transcend their very being. You are crazy. I sacrifice for knowledge. And now it's time for our Movie the Minute segment. This is where James and I bounce back and forth recommending films that the other person has not yet seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is more of a forceful... Uh, I'm making you watch this uh, edition than normal. <laughs> I, do, I do like that as this has been going on, it seems like uh, we're like trying to challenge each other. It's getting competitive. Bit. Yeah, because like <laughs> the last one you made me watch, you know, it, it's not like it was hard to get through or anything. It yeah. was just like a little challenging watch like a silent film. Yeah, I try to like, tell you like as little about it as possible too. Like I just wanted to kind of emerge immerse you in something yeah. weird this is more just like i kind of thought you might hate it and that you've been actively <laughs> avoiding it yeah for years been. so i was like i'm gonna force him to watch it i like i like being pushed past my boundaries though so that's good yeah well what is this movie oh we so, are <laughs> warning each other about um so the movie is called martyrs mm-hmm. it's um from 2008 it's a french body horror you, I guess you could call it torture porn. I do have to stop you already. It's actually French-Canadian. French-Canadian. But it has like, been grouped in with all these other French films that came before it. Right. It is French language, just not from France. Not from France. <laughs> yeah. The French up north. Um, but yeah, it is body horror, torture porn-ish. Yeah, although... Well, I mean, we'll get into yeah. the how to classify it. But anyway, it, um, it was like... 
really controversial when it first came out. Uh, I remember reading that a lot of audiences at the Cannes Film Festival just like walked out and they hated it. But also like it's kind of gotten this reputation throughout the years as being the like ultimate torture porn film. Um, and anyway, it's about a girl that's she grew up in an orphanage kind of place where she was abused and she eventually escapes but uh now as she's older she uh has this like demon creature that's kind of following her around and well before she gets to the orphanage she was tortured by she was like abducted and tortured by somebody you don't by know this mysterious group right and, and then she escapes to the orphanage where she befriends someone right and then later on it jumps in the future and the one girl is like basically walks into this family's home they seem like a nice like middle class happy family she just kills them all shotgun blast shotgun bl yeah really brutal killings and then um the friend that she had met at the orphanage is kind of like helping her and obviously is sympathetic to her but also is kind of questioning her motives uh, and then, and like I said, there's also this literal, like, demon that's following her around, mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually, the, so that's like the first half of the movie, and right. the second half is definitely a huge, like, shift. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if we want to get into, I feel like we have to get into spoiler yeah. territory, because... I mean, this is there's a spoiler-friendly no podcast in general. True, yeah, I mean... The demon does have a, a source, right? It's not like just nobody. The demon's no. like her guilt. From leaving behind uh, this girl that was also getting abused. Right. Uh, but it, it kind of... Yeah, it becomes clear that it's like a, a metaphorical kind of thing that's just manifested into this <laughs> like real demon that seems to be causing her harm. But then there's a shot that pretty much makes it clear that she's harming herself. Right. Um, and then, uh, pretty much as soon as that demon's, like, out, out of the plot, mm -hmm. uh, then they bring in this actual, real-looking demon that you're like, oh, that is from... It looks like, uh, almost like an extra from uh, Event Horizon or something. It's like this really hellish mm -hmm. uh, image, and it turns out it's just some woman who's been tortured by this family. And that she wasn't mistaken and just happened to kill some middle-class family. Right, they have a secret dungeon in their basement um and so yeah this the surviving woman from the orphanage tries to rescue this woman but she ends ends up getting killed by this cult um whose intentions kind of become clear as the movie goes on and basically this cult their philosophy revolves around the idea of like transcending uh, through pain. Yeah, it's so, like pushing yourself beyond what your body should be able to take pain-wise. Yeah, as a way to like um, see a higher power or mm -hmm. transcend past ordinary human existence. And, and their evidence of that existing is pretty flimsy. Like, uh, they have all these pictures of people who've been burned alive or tortured before. And they have this look in their eyes that... Uh, in the photographs, people interpret as being like them transcending this reality, 
or reaching divinity or something. Right. But it's a pretty flimsy like premise uh, to just base a whole religion on like a couple like looks in somebody's eyes when they're like being tortured. Yeah. Like, oh, that's them looking at God. It's like I guess you could see it that way. It looks like they're just like looking for help. Right, and th- and that's kind of um, sort of why I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess what. So, what did you think of the movie overall? Like, well, okay. I know it is a hard movie to get through. It's definitely not something you want to go around like saying this is one of my favorite movies or like <laughs> recommending to someone because it's like really got a fucked up point of view. I was uh, expecting to hate it, and I, I kind of expected it to be along the lines of like Human Centipede or something, where it's just like pure depravity without any kind of. But it's, it's well, not. Yeah, I was expecting something much more nihilistic than than what exists here. Well, but that's I think that's uh, a major point though. Is I think it is the most nihilistic of all those movies. How but, so? So, to me at least. Uh, what the film was kind of getting at and why I say that is like, you know, so in the second half of the movie, this woman is basically beaten like every day on a routine. She's mm-hmm. fed like gruel, just, you know, slapped around. It's really awful to watch. And then she kind of, once she gets past all that, they flay her alive. Yeah. And, at that point, the leader of the cult, this older woman, Mademoiselle, mm-hmm. uh, she goes up to her, you know, basically seeing if she's like transcended yet. And the woman whispers something in her ear. And then, you know, her followers of the cult ask her, like, what did she tell you or whatever? And supposedly she had seen what's beyond death, is what they were anticipating that she's seen. Right. And and then she immediately kills herself. Right. So I really love that ending because it's basically, it's like, she told her one of two things. Either she did transcend to something beautiful, some kind of afterlife, or there was nothing on the other side yeah. of the pain. And I think it's pretty clear that there was nothing that that's I don't know if it's if that's clear or not. Well, in in the context of the whole movie, that's kind of what I took it to me, and that's what I mean when, it, as far as nihilism, because it's basically she's telling her that all this like torture and all this pain that I've gone through has been for nothing, right? And to me, like that's essentially like what nihilism is sort of about is like your whole life, all the pain. All the suffering you go through is for nothing, and it means nothing, and it's pointless. And so the film like embodies nihilism more than some of the other torture porn movies that really do seem like about the actual act of torture, not yeah. the like this underlying philosophy that I think this movie was getting at. And that's why I think it has way more merit than some of the other just playing robots. devil's advocate for a second if yeah. if she did tell her something else about the afterlife not that there's nothing but that there's something coming next her killing herself could be like a step to that that goal like if well, she wanted to get to that next plane or whatever yeah well that's why it's it's kind of ambiguous because yeah. either she told her it's something so beautiful like you would want to go there immediately mm-hmm. or it's it's pointless and right. just kill yourself so it's like it is like 
not a hundred percent clear. Yeah. But Schrodinger's suicide or whatever. <laughs> I, I do think though that that's that's my interpretation. Yeah. But then and that's why I say like it's very nihilistic in the like real philosophical sense, not just like it's nihilistic because it's like messed up. There's there is an underlying thought process yeah. behind it that's very dark. Well, I, I do want to back up a second here. Yeah. Um, just this is what I liked about this movie. And I didn't expect to like anything, but uh, I I expected pretty much what you're describing that second half. Uh, I expected that to be the whole movie where you just watch someone get like tortured for ninety minutes, and then it's for some like supernatural end. Mm-hmm. What I found instead was that the movie was very willing to like play with genre types. Um, it starts off uh, as like a creepy, um, you know, like mental institution horror that kind of looks like haunted with the old like yeah. super 8 footage uh, and then it goes into home invasion thriller kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then after that's over uh, the um, cult reveals itself and you get this sort of like 70s satan- sa- satanic like psychedelia kind of vibe going on which I really like that yeah. kind of stuff um, it reminded me of a lot of recent horror movies I like that, that recognize what genres they're working at and then change gears and like they, they don't commit to one. They use each of them as like almost a tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it lost me and where I wasn't like so into it was when it does hit that torture porn torture groove. Porn part. Yeah. Where the guy just comes in and like punches her in the gut uh, once a day and like she's force fed, just nasty slob. I, I just can't watch I, that for any kind of pleasure. That's and that's why I said it's like definitely challenging. Yeah. Movie that I I did not enjoy I got those bored parts either. During that, those parts too. But I do think that like boredom you're talking about was intentional. Like I think basically you as the viewers you're watching it, you know, oh look he comes in he slaps her again and then the way the film cuts to it will just like cut to black and then it will start all over again. Yeah. And it it's kind of putting you in her mindset sort of this like routine that actually like becomes sort of like boring and mundane after a while you're just coming in oh it's my time to get slapped around and fed a bunch of crap and then oh day has started over and it's just putting you in that cycle of like abuse that just becomes like numbing it also gets boring and kind of like a um oh another misogynistic horror film like I've seen so many of these since the 70s where like every other part of the movie is like driven by women uh, and yeah. these like supernatural forces it's not the same like men torturing young women as that one part is like well I think that's the thing too is like you're right most of the movie centers around women and when a man does show up it's purely to like abuse yeah he's like a soldier he's like a soldier taking orders from uh the Mademoiselle or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but it just I, I, there's that the whole theme of that area of the film bored the shit out of me. Also, I was uh, on like Benadryl and red <laughs> wine when I was watching it, so I was already like kind of like in a loopy state. Yeah, which actually benefited a lot of the film, just not that part because I was like it was losing me so hard. Well, yeah, and I do think that's probably why it's gotten polarizing kind of responses because. The first like two thirds mm-hmm. are really exhilarating. Like 
you're on the edge of your seat like there's this demon following her around she's killing this seemingly innocent family you don't quite know the dynamic of the two women's like friendship and mm-hmm. so there's like a lot of mystery and it's you know like really like adrenaline fuel like it moves really quick and then yeah the last third you settle into that torture porn mm-hmm. stuff and i think a lot of people were like repulsed by that part of the movie yeah but and i do understand that but i think you know at the end it kind of justifies yeah, I like part. the supernatural element a lot, and I like that they push that. And I, I also think the flayed uh, body horror stuff is really well done um, gore makeup. Like, Yeah, it was terrifying. Actually, I, I kind of expected to be really grossed out, but I was just kind of in awe of like what they built. Like, You don't really get a lot of good handmade um, mm-hmm. gore like that anymore. Um, yeah, it's not the most... Um, that's the thing, too. It's like got this reputation as being the nastiest one of the of those films but a lot of the american ones i've seen like the saw and hostel oh, yeah. are way like more perverse in their like violence like this one's got some really good gore in the beginning i i think the reason it has that reputation is that like 30 minute chunk of yeah it's the torture because it is it's like it deflates my balloon I'm not gonna lie like I'm just kinda like I get dispirited watching that part but the, but the thing though, I, I see what you're saying that that's like intentional yeah and I, the way it was done too I don't think it was like overly like nasty or anything like yeah it was really fucked up but uh I don't know I've just I have seen worse oh I th- me too I think what really I, again like what I think makes it so dark is that there is like a philosophy underneath it and it's really like nihilistic and like uh, no happy ending and, yeah. and that's what another thing that's so kind of crazy is like they remade this movie yeah. recently and apparently uh, it's supposed to have like a somewhat happy ending yeah they made an American version for people who are that averse to like subtitles <laughs> um, right uh, which is just so lame uh <laughs> And they uh, did it on like a one million dollar budget, um, which is dirt cheap for an American production. And then just stripped everything interesting about it. Like I'm almost more offended by the American version, just because yeah. it looks like just pointless. Like right. just absolutely pointless to uh, show these people being tortured for no like thematic purpose. Like it's just like pure. Yeah, uh, torture film, crap, and that's the kind of stuff I usually avoid. Well, that um, that kind of reminds me of a, a quote from the director. Uh, I think he was asked about like American torture porn movies and how is your movie different, and he said that um, Martyrs is about pain, uh, and the other movies are really just about the torture, like. This film, like, especially with all the stuff in the, you know, the girls getting abused at a young age and in an orphanage, and they're obviously dealing with the trauma from that, it is really about, like, deep, like, pain, not just about, like, someone torturing you and mm-hmm. the, like, physical kind of pain. It's more about, like, emotional pain. And, it, and again, what I think makes it so dark in the end is that it seems to be saying that all that is pointless and that's like something that 
is like kind of messed up to hear if you've been through a lot of shit. Yeah. You know, you're, the movie's telling you in the end, like, yeah, all that, it means nothing. There's no light at the end of the, the tunnel <laughs> and all that. And that is really what struck me as like, oh, damn, this is coming from a really dark place. It, it is a means to an end. They are using the violence to sort of reach for something a little more transcendent uh, or reaching for that and just saying that there is nothing there. Yeah. Uh, either way you read it, um, which I did appreciate. But, you know, I, I would never watch this again. Like, I think I, once was enough. I don't think I'd watch it again. Do you, I, do you think I should watch Inside? I know you like that I think one. Inside is... I think you'd really enjoy that. Okay. It, it doesn't have any of the, like... The torture aspect it's just really violent but like really fun yet i've watched probably i think six or seven of these you know french new wave horror extremism films. french or yeah it's an offshoot of like new french extremism yeah. um which kind of lumps in all these different directors that aren't even like from france really it's just <laughs> like a movement yeah but uh I definitely think Inside is Inside and Martyrs. I would put up there as the two like you have to see, and Inside is definitely the more enjoyable. Martyrs is like one of the most like challenging, difficult movies, but Inside is just like a it's a roller coaster yeah. ride, and I think you would actually. I like. I kind of struggle with which one do I want to make him watch because. I, I mean, feel like you would in, enjoy Inside more, but I felt like it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on Well, Martyrs. I mean, we could take a little bit of a break, but we could always do that movie later as well. Yeah, that way down, yeah. down the line. <laughs> Maybe watch something goofy for a little while. Yeah. I, but I do want to say before we um, head out, uh, I, I, I did mention that one part played like a kind of misogynistic, uh, just like bland uh, torture porn movie. But um, I was looking at the Wikipedia, and they said that the girl is physically and sexually tortured in the film, which thought I thought was way off base. Like, I don't think there's any sexual aspect to anything in this film. I didn't know if you had picked up on anything like that. No, the only... Well, they do allude to the fact that she was sexually abused by, like, a family member hmm. or something. She has, like, a phone call with her mom. That's the I, other girl. Oh, the other yeah. yeah, but the one the one at the beginning who escapes the uh, the cult. No, they never really. No, there's no sexual. Yeah, I didn't think that any of the violence in here was particular. And it's all women, uh, but it's also women doing the torturing, and it also um, they they explain themselves a little bit. They're like men don't reach this transcendental level, uh, yeah. whatever the fuck that means. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Know I, I didn't pick up any like sexual. N- none of this feels like. Um, eroticized in any way. No. That, and that's what I'm saying about that torture porn part is like it's very cold and calculated yeah. which actually makes it almost worse how like mechanical it is. And it really just makes you feel like really icky watching. But again, like I, I get how most people I mean even I hated that section of the movie but obviously like that was the intent yeah. I don't think anyone is supposed to enjoy that but and then I don't the, know then there's the breakfast scene at the beginning where they're like casually going about their day and talking about their kids grades and stuff and meanwhile there's some woman with like 
this horrific metal attachment to her face, like, scarred up in their basement. Like, yeah. it is a very cold, heartless film. But, like you said, there's a, there's a purpose to it. It's not, it's not completely empty. Yeah, there's more going on than most of the other films in this genre. So, to me, like, I hate, I really do hate torture porn yeah. movies, but, I don't know. This, to me, feels like probably the best one of the bunch and if you're I don't know if you're into like challenging films you should probably give this a try but it's definitely something that will stay with you and it's not an easy watch yeah if, if you got the stomach for it it's it's interesting I, I, I wouldn't like give it a hearty recommendation or anything like that but I'm, I'm glad I watched it yeah I, I was so scared for <laughs> someone to watch and then I was like you know what there's actually a lot going on here it's not devoid of of any purpose so yeah well beware <laughs> beware The trip was instantaneous. That's why his watch is exactly one minute behind mine. He skipped over that minute to instantly arrive at this moment in time. Come here. I'll show you how it works. First, you turn the time circuits on. This readout tells you where you're going. This one tells you where you are. This one tells you where you were. You input your destination time on this keypad. Say you want to see the sign of the Declaration of Independence. Or witness the birth of Christ? Here's a red letter date in the history of science. November 5th, 1955. Yes, of course, November 5th, 1955. Why, I don't get what happened. <laughs> that was the day I invented time travel. I remember it vividly. I was standing on the edge of my toilet, hanging a clock. The porcelain was wet. I slipped, hit my head on the edge of the sink. And when I came to, I had a revelation, a vision, a picture in my head, a picture of this. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. Flux capacitor? It's taken me almost 30 years of my entire family fortune to realize the vision of that day. My God, has it been that long? From torture porn to time travel. Uh, now we're going to talk about our favorite uh, time travel movies of all time. Uh, our friend Brian Perkins is back. Nice to be here. <laughs> He's an author and a blogger, and he was on our um, artificial intelligence uh, episode of, uh, got probably two months back. Mm -hmm. God, it was a while ago. Um, 
this is going to be sort of a controversial countdown because James and I uh, sort of disagreed on a few things uh, along the way. Um, but, you know, you got three people inputting their favorite um, time travel movies. It's a wide range. There's going to be a lot of variation there. Uh, so let's start with probably the most controversial thing on the list was our number 10 pick, Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I... I... Okay, I know it's probably a bad movie, and I haven't seen it in, like, years. Yeah. But it just feels like the iconic uh, time travel movie of our, like, generation. And it's just interesting that it's, like, dead last. Uh, bottom. It barely made the list. Barely, yeah. You yeah. voted at number one. I was surprised it was even on there, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it, it, James voted at number one. That's why I made it. In its place could have been 12 Monkeys, which might have been Brian's pick. Yeah. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which might have been my pick. Or Donnie Darko, which is like a fairly, uh, you know, enjoyable film. Yeah. And instead we have Back to the Future, which, (laughs) you're right, it is an iconic film. And if I'm picking, like, number one, it's hard to, like, rank things... Really, so when I'm thinking number one, I'm just going to go the most iconic. Like, if you were to ask people what is your, like, favorite time travel movie, I feel like a lot of people our age would say Back to the Future. So not necessarily saying it's the best, but, like, that and Terminator, to me, are, like, the iconic time travel movies of our time. Here's the problem, though. It's a fucking awful film. Well, yeah, it's really bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> see that, I, I mean, like especially that scene where they're trying to hook up the wire and Ugh. they gotta do it right on time. It drags out so long. Everybody knows you get so the many fucking missteps. Wire. Like yeah. that's uh, a suspense, dude. That's oh my god. <laughs> I will say the scientist character. Is Come on, amazing. Christopher Lloyd is hilarious yeah. in that movie. It's his name Doc something. I can't remember. Doc Brown. Yeah. Doc Brown. <laughs> he is incredible. It's a great performance. And you know the the time machine, the DeLorean, like you said, That's, it is iconic. Yeah. So. And I have remembered the uh, second one being better than the first. Oh no. It's worse. Way worse. I dude. didn't watch the second one. I just watched and then the, the first one before this. So. Well, and then the third one is even like a step below that. It's like really we're going back to. Like, <laughs> I didn't even go that far. Old westerns, yeah. like it, oh yeah, Billy the Kid. I remember watching those when I was God, a kid. It was, <laughs> it was awful. Well, this is what I remembered about the second one was that they actually go to the future, right? And then they go to this like uh, sort of satirical like um, point in the 2010s where they have like an uh, an 80s diner. And right. that's supposed to be like And they a, do the chase scene on the skateboard again, but it's a hoverboard, hoverboard instead. Hoverboard. That part was pretty amazing. And that's what I remember being in the whole film. But the truth is, what they do in the second movie is they just keep revisiting literally film uh, scenes from the first movie, where he's like watching it as an observer and like kind of tinkering with what happened. Yeah, it's like the most literal rehashing uh, of a film. But you know, it's funny you bring that up, and I know we'll get to this this one later. But that was something I thought was interesting about watching Terminator Mm -hmm. again was like oh wow the second one actually like rips off a lot from the first like yeah there's quite a few things that they borrow from the first movie I and back to the future kind of I think it's the same sort of idea going on but yeah for most of the film and back to the future 
what what are we looking at? We're looking at Marty McFly uh, being hit on by his mom. His mom. Yeah. Uh, he has to <laughs> make sure his parents have sex so that him and his siblings can exist. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, at the end of the tunnel, his mom uh, is like an employer for her would-be rapist who's now their gardener. Right. What a great funny movie. <laughs> Well, okay, when I'm watching this as a kid, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm not thinking about it on that level. Right. I, I do think I'd probably look at it through rose-colored glasses a little bit. I invite you to return I, to this film. This is, <laughs> this is one of the ones I did not rewatch because partly because of that fear was like, okay, I love this movie as a kid. I know yeah, now... You're going to be disappointed. Yeah, you'll probably be disappointed, yeah. Do so, you... Okay, I know uh, Brian... You read a lot of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything interesting in this film about like? Well, the- I mean, it's just like he said. It's one of the iconic ones, and it's really specifically about the grandfather paradox. Yeah, you know, what would happen if you, you know, did something to change yourself being born? Yeah, they say you just disappear in this. You know, uh-huh. well, or maybe they say you can't change something because in the end he doesn't disappear. He right. does fix it. Actually, but, he's a, he's a white man who invents rock and roll at the end. Of the film. Right. <laughs> so I guess he changed history but, that way. But yeah, I mean, we can assume that maybe history happened that way, and whoever, you know, whatever. But <laughs> no need to it's, overanalyze. Yeah, it's not back worth to the going future. through that those long drawn out scenes yeah. of. In the second one, um, people run into the alternate versions of themselves, uh, but it never really amounts to anything. Uh, two characters see each other and faint uh, and then the two docs kind of had this conversation where they're like helping each other figure out <laughs> that uh, stupid chord scene that you were talking about earlier right? <laughs> uh, which they felt that was interesting enough to return to it a second time surprising surprising but yet yeah, I don't As know if they didn't maybe. run it long enough in the first movie I don't want to run it into the ground but this is not a great film <laughs> I'll, I'll rewatch it it stinks <laughs> Do y'all, do y'all have anything about Bill and Ted or 12 Monkeys you want to say? Uh, just real quick. I mean, I I definitely, uh, yeah, really enjoy Bill and Ted. Yeah. I I guess I didn't include it on my list. At, I don't really remember. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Uh, okay, so our number nine would be Interstellar, uh, which I, I believe is one of the more like practical time travel concepts. Uh, in that it um, talks about going into wormholes and then relativity, where time moves differently for different people depending on what part of the universe they're in. Um, yeah, yeah, like that definitely is a real, I mean, scientifically possible form of time travel. Yeah. That part of it where he goes down onto the uh, planet and he comes up 20 years later. Right. And, he, and I know, an hour or whatever. I know uh, Christopher Nolan like consulted with actual like physicists on like you know making it as realistic as possible even like especially that scene where they see the black hole and he's like oh you thought it was going to be a disc it's actually a sphere (laughs) i was like wow that really did blow my mind too because every time you see it on paper you do see a disc and essentially it's a 2d 2d rendering of a right like a 3d object or 4d so to see to see it in 3d like that i think it was it looked very realistic as yeah. I would think it would look you know like we can't say but and the, the dilemma in this movie um, is that uh, basically 
Matthew McConaughey's character, um, along with a couple other scientists, leaves his family behind to go find a new planet to populate uh, through wormhole travel. Uh, when they go look for these planets to see if they're inhabitable, uh, every hour they spend on the planet is relative to something like seven years back home. Mm-hmm. So while he's gone trying to find this new place for civilization, his family's basically aging out and dying. Uh, and at the end of the film, he loops back and his kids are like ancient and he's like the right. same age. Um, what I what I appreciated about it was that uh, the emotional core of that um, that familial drama is just as interesting as the way time passes in the film. Like that scene where he watches his kids' messages over the years is right. a tearjerker every yeah. time I see it. Um, yeah, and the whole—I mean, even the whole world ending because the global warming, like the beginning with those interviews. It seemed mm-hmm. like I was watching something like if we had cameras during the Dust Bowl and we yeah. did like these people, you know, his son still trying to keep the farm going mm-hmm. despite the fact that his kids, you know, lungs are being killed by the dust and it's just, he's got a good reason to be out there Yeah, and he had to leave that reason home to go do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it definitely has um, an emotional core yeah. that, you know, you could appreciate it just from the like kind of the science behind it or whatever uh and it's just like beautiful to look at too but if it didn't have that like emotional core and that story about a you know father and his children it wouldn't quite have the same impact yeah i think a lot of the movies on here are are very heady and like thinky uh whereas this one um really does try to sell the emotion to the point where it goes from science fiction to fantasy uh, in that uh, the big leap that it makes is that love is the one thing that transcends space and time and yeah, it allows him to like affect the past kind of like a ghost yeah I love and gravity <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which, love and gravity <laughs> I'm not you know I'm not too worried about that no I like Whenever it you get a happy sappy sci-fi story going you know you're gonna probably end up with some fantasy deus ex machina to yeah. solve the <laughs> yeah and I mean I love the ending to uh, you know where he's like in the tesseract yeah or like behind the book yeah and you can see all the different times all at once that is like stunning it reminds me it reminds me uh you know we're gonna talk about slaughterhouse five later but they they talk about how they can see all the times at once and to have a visual representation of that i think they did a really good job and and the way it sets itself up is that it's a self-creating reality too like he set up the tesseract and he's affecting the past to make sure that he goes to the Tesseract in the first place. Right. <laughs> it's like an endless thought loop, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is one of my favorite kind of movies uh, in this in this genre. Um, but it's def- it definitely it has to be uh, able to let go of like the science of things when you're getting into a topic that's the unknown anyway. Like you're kind of right. just making shit up at some point. Like they were really really scientific about uh, everything that we know you know with right. science and then whenever they got to the edge of that you just there's nothing make it up because <laughs> we still don't know so I mean <laughs> and that's my uh, that was my favorite movie in 2014 um, just because it starts off so grounded in such like a like a uh, well paced drama and then gets very trashy I think starting with the Matt Damon fist fight uh, just sort of yeah. gets, it becomes this like almost like sci-fi serial from the 70s yeah, and t- 
Tars? Was that the robot's name with uh, his humor yeah. settings and stuff? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> that was fun. Okay, uh, and number eight, uh, speaking of time loops, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, um, also from yeah. 2014. Uh, this is a Tom Cruise... Uh, sort of Groundhog Day situation where yeah. every time uh, he dies he wakes up at the same point of the day um, and he has to get further and further along until he destroys the aliens and that's how he gets out of the time loop right it's definitely a fun action one this I mean, yeah it um I was surprised at how much I liked it actually I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan but it seems like with his science fiction movies that he picks are usually like pretty good. Like Minority like, Report. Minority Report. Uh, I haven't seen Oblivion. I heard nothing great about that one. But I mean, I it was a really like awesome action movie. Okay. I mean, and this one too. Like it was really good. I don't know the the time travel aspect in it was pretty standard. It's a reset you know? button. Like uh, yeah, but it's also fun to watch him die so many times. Yeah, and funny some of the deaths, you know, whenever oh, yeah. he starts just getting tired of it because he's been through it so many times. Or like yeah, Emil- he starts drinking, like, <laughs> like just gives up and yeah. decides yeah. to get drunk. Or, one. He's, or and he's begging her not to kill him. Yeah, She's Emily like, Blunt no, we gotta restart. Yeah. Like, no, no, I, I, no, no, no. I broke my back, but maybe I can <laughs> do something else. And I think the movie does play with Tom Cruise's celebrity a little bit. Uh, usually, he is the same kind of like. Uh, overconfident, handsome, like, dick in all of his movies, but you're supposed to like him for it. Uh, in this film, people hate his guts because he's such, like, a self-absorbed... Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's <laughs> Tom Cruise. And uh, part of the pleasure at the beginning is watching this guy get his comeuppance and, like, die a hundred times. And then he slowly becomes a better person over the course of well, the film. Right? Well, a better person, but also, like, you know, he just keeps learning mm-hmm. things. That's what I thought was cool. Like, every time through he learns, like, a little piece of information that kind of helps him along. Uh, yeah, and it was really a great way how they visualize that too. They didn't make us run through it every time. They like have him get run over by a car, mm-hmm. and they just show it right from there again, and he'll get past. And and or sometimes they will go through some of the earlier stuff again, but it, it will like change slightly. Right. You know, like all that was really cool. I don't think there's any possible way to measure how many times he dies in this movie. No, no, I think like, it's in the thousands. You can make or... an estimate, but yeah. it's definitely more than they've sh- they showed on there. Yeah. That's kind of the one of the fun things about watching it is just like how many times did it take him to first like get to this point, but then also to figure out like how to get past it, and it's just like which I'll take that ending. You know, I hear there's gonna be a sequel, right? I hate. Okay, I like the ending, but I hate that there's a sequel, uh, just because it felt like a perfectly contained story. Um, well, but I mean, in the end, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. In the end, they kill the, the the big one, right? Right. And he gets the blood on him. Mm-hmm. And so they rewind even further, like two days or something like that. Right. So I mean, the way I the way I saw it, earlier in the thing, he was asking uh, the angel of death or whatever her name was, how how'd you beat him last time? And they're like, well, they wanted us to. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so it maybe, seems to me like they're gonna have a rewind button on the bigger aliens too. Yeah, it's gonna be a longer rewind, and now they're just gonna have more days to deal with. I mean, yeah, there's gonna be some other kind of ambush. Yeah, or even a bigger alien up in the hierarchy that they have to 
kill because yeah. And I, how do you feel about that alien <coughs> blood? Uh, oh, yeah. Machination in general, like it's it's like magical <laughs> alien blood that like resets a situation over and over again until an object uh, until an objective is completed. I think it, I mean. It's a little they, hokey, I'm, I guess, but I, it worked. Yeah, yeah it worked in terms of the story. I it mean, it seems very much like a video game. Like you said, it's a reset button, and it seems like a part of a video game where the aliens have their sub aliens, and they think you know they think he's one of the aliens. So every time he dies, they're resetting because they didn't want their aliens to die or whatever. But it works yeah it does work and it, it, it's it was like a novel and then like a graphic novel um second I, I think it, I think in like a comic book context this is like a perfect property right uh, I, I haven't actually read that yet but it has a better title which is all you need is kill yeah which is really awesome but like, on, honestly too and another reason I kind of liked it sort of like Interstellar was I actually did connect with like Tom Cruise um, and Emily Blunt yeah their like relationship how it developed over time, like, that actually I thought was pretty well done. Yeah, and tragic. Yeah, and tragic, too, because, like, he... That's a great reveal when they're in the hangar, and um, she wants to keep moving on and defeat the aliens, but he's just tired of watching her die. At a tea party or something. Yeah, it's like, you're not... And then he breaks it to her, like, you're not gonna live past this point. And it's the same conundrum as Groundhog Day, where you have to reconvince someone that they've already fallen in love with you, like, hundreds of times. Uh, I don't know how you get that across. Me and James were talking about this the other day, and there's another movie that we forgot to put on the list. It's called Source Code. Yeah. I don't know if you've yeah. seen it. I have not seen that. I've heard of it. You but should. it's similar where he has to keep resetting and try to like solve a, a train bombing train or something bombing, like that. Train bombing, yeah, and he keeps going back, and it's really well done. Okay. It probably would have been on my top ten Damn. had it been included. It's it's really good. Yeah. It is very similar to, um, to Edge of Tomorrow. Damn, we'll have, we'll have to talk about that one later. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next one on the list is Safety Not Guaranteed from 2012. Uh, this is Colin Tremoreau's first film. He did the uh, Jurassic World uh, sequel a couple years ago. It was garbage. Uh, <laughs> but his first movie is really good. It's this like small indie, uh, almost rom-com about yeah, time Yeah, sci-fi travel. romance, one of my favorite genres. That's why <laughs> I had it so high up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is Aubrey Plaza and um, Mark Duplass. Uh, it's based on a real life um, Craigslist ad uh, where someone wants to time travel back into the past uh, and he needs a partner. Right. He's um, already done it before and encouraging you to bring your own weapons. Yeah. And safety is not guaranteed, as the title <laughs> says. <laughs> and uh, I guess the sort of trajectory of this movie is that people sort of treat this ad with like this hipster irony um, and then once. The, they get to know the guy and what he's been through. Um, they start to take him a little more seriously. And yeah, then, this is this is kind of another one of those. I know in our AI we were conversation. Oh, I don't remember the name of it, but we were talking about the autistic robot, and this one links to autism okay. with me too. Yeah, safety not guaranteed because you know he takes this time travel thing really very seriously. Yeah, and it's like his. It's quote unquote special interest, and he's very sincere about it. And all these journalists and people just come and make fun of him, so he's not very trusting of anyone either. But then, you know, finally Aubrey comes along and seems like she's taking it seriously, and you know, he starts to let her in that 
this might be actually more than just a joke. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, I guess the uh, gray area is whether or not you believe that he has gone back in time before. Right. Um, because he's going back to save this woman that he supposedly dated uh, from a car crash. Um, and she finds out that that lady's actually alive. And he's saying, oh, that means that it worked when I went back. You must have saved her then already. (laughs) Which is is very interesting for, like... (coughs) It's an interesting high concept for a movie that's basically just, like, two people falling in love over, like, a weird, quirky uh, mission. (laughs) But but also, like... So I don't think I ranked it as high as you two, but I... So I was, like, kind of, you know, I enjoyed the whole movie. uh, Thought it was really cute. But then the, the end... Oh yeah, like put it over the top for me. Where I'm like, yes, like, and that's what I still remember about it was like, uh, like pitch perfect ending because mm-hmm. they could have went the other way with it, you know, and they chose not to, and that like really blew me away. I, I think at heart it's a film about sincerity, so you have to like take him as like a sincere, genuine person. Uh, so that ending is very crucial. Yeah, because the whole time you're kind of doubting. Yeah, you know, and then. That was really good. I think Brian probably ranked this the highest. Is there anything particular that stands out about it for you? Oh, no. Just like I said, it's it's my favorite genre, sci-fi romance. And like I, like I said, I really identified with that main character. Yeah. Did you watch the one I love with me and James? Uh, the Mark Duplass movie with him and Elizabeth? Uh, oh, yeah, I think so. There's They have doubles or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. That's another yeah. good one in that genre. Definitely. Um, we might have to do an episode on that soon. Yeah. That's <laughs> really good. Um, and then our next movie is Time Crimes from 2008. Yes. Uh, it's a Spanish film. Um, Los Crono Crimenes. <laughs> yeah, that's the original title. Um, this guy kind of gets tricked into getting into a time machine and going back just a several hours and then scrambles to um, keep the regular timeline of his, uh, of his routine from that day. And right. along the way, just becomes a worse and worse person. Yeah, trying to, you know, save his existence, just like Marty McFly was doing, you know, <laughs> make sure the grandfather paradox doesn't ink him out of existence. He's what, And what's so great about this one is, like, you can't tell, is he an objectively bad person doing these things, or is he, like, a decent guy that has to do objectively bad things? He, like, makes this woman strip at, like, knife point. Uh, he commits murder I believe uh, it just gets worse like it just snowballs well, yeah I mean it's hard to say that he commits murder oh well. one of them commits murder and uh, you know cause his cro- his timeline starts crossing multiple yeah. times so there's about three, two or three of them in existence at one time so it's hard to say. I mean, which one is? But they're all him, him. right? They're all version. I mean, they're versions of him. But who, which ones are like real? Him or are they all the same? Here's my thing about this guy. At the end of the film, he's like, "I had no choice. I had to do this." And it's not exactly true. He's doing all these things to preserve himself, and he mm-hmm. does it at the detriment of other people. Which I feel like is where he loses that moral Right, sentiment. it's really at the detriment of that one poor woman. Right. I mean, she's the one that ends up... She's just trying to help him whenever he gets in a car accident at one point. And then she gets fucked over after that. Right. Like, 
And it is, it's the same kind of self-creating reality paradox that I like about these movies. Right. Where, like, you can't tell if he's actually reconstructing the events or if the events already happened and he's just, like, inevitably following along. And all that's being revealed is, like, how selfish he can be to, like, preserve his, like, preferred timeline. Right. <clears throat> I mean, he wasn't a super great person at the beginning either no. when he was being a peeping Tom. <laughs> yeah, so. true. He's like bird watching next Just to his wife. got worse yeah. after but that. More so than a lot of the other ones on the list, there is like a big kind of moral dilemma at the center of this movie, which is why I liked it so much. It's a really good thriller, and I like the moral... Um, puzzle of it where you're just the the whole trajectory is just finding out how you feel about what this guy yeah. does yeah. yeah um what would you be how far would you go to yeah to preserve your like reality yeah i mean so i don't know it and it's definitely like and like when ambiguous. he like when he saw when he saw one of his doubles and he's talking about that's not me that can't be me you know but then you see what circumstance would lead him to do such a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I, I think the acting is a little weak. Uh, and I guess it's kind of hard to tell sometimes I, with like foreign language films. But I can't ever tell with foreign language films. It's a, little, it's a little cheap acting, but it's also a cheap production. And obviously so much effort yeah. went into the ideas and like layering this sort of complicated... Um, There's only like three or four actors in the whole thing. Right. It's mostly just following one... Uh, so there's something about the the scientist um, that makes all this possible that like tricks him into the time machine that came across as like very goofy to me and I don't know if right. it was like intentional <laughs> or not. Yeah, and I mean he's been in a weird place seeing the same guy come out of his time machine a few yeah. times in a row. Yeah, he's so. like befuddled. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean I think some of the movies on our list like work so well because of like the acting and mm-hmm. that side of it. And, the other half seemed to work more on like ideas. Yeah. And this is definitely one that has really strong ideas. Some of them more like are the other aspects of film, like the acting is like not quite up to par with some of the other ones, but it's ideas are so strong. I, I ranked it pretty high. Yeah. I think this one has uh, the least like, I don't know any plot holes in this one. This one seems like they covered their tracks. Mm-hmm. Like some of the others, you can be like, well, and how this or how that. But this is one where I think it's. And they pretty use pretty good. Uh, logically, yeah. It, it uses pretty good markers to let you know like where you're at. Like uh, the, the Blondie song that plays three, four times in the film, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, now I know where I'm at. Like I'm centered right. again. Like it does a pretty good yeah. job of. Uh, or that picture with the arrow on it, and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm. Now I'm following again. Yeah. And it's uh it's also um limits itself to just like three or four locations, so it's easy to keep track of all that. It's not mm-hmm. like all over the place. Um but I, I guess the probably the most well mapped out film on the list would be the next one, uh as we go into our top five, uh primer from yeah. two thousand nine. Uh no two thousand four, right? Two thousand four is what yeah. I have. 2004, um, this is Shane Carruth's debut, made uh, notoriously for like seven grand. Um, just ridiculously <laughs> cheap. Insane. Uh, he's only made two films, which is absurd. But his uh, follow-up, um, Upstream Color, is one of the best movies I've ever seen. So I don't know why I took so long to watch this. <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've ever watched this movie. Um, I liked it, but it's definitely more on that ideas over execution end. Where oh yeah, like... 
like you said, it's low budget and the writers are the actors, right? Yeah. So that's what you can kind of expect from something yeah, like that. <laughs> more so than probably any of the other ones acting and this felt kind of stilted and like unnatural mm -hmm. at points. But I don't know. It has to be in the top five just from that purely like idea, like the way that it deals with time travel and just there's like whole websites and like theories and diagrams about how to figure this movie I out. I looked at so many charts of just what happens in this film that I can't even like make I, sense of what I'm even looking at. I think it I think it's a fool's errand personally to try to actually figure it out because I mean the way they do those quick cuts early on whenever they start figuring out time travel and then they show scenes from it seems like they're showing scenes from a bunch like we said before with the uh, Edge of Tomorrow we can't count how many times he died mm -hmm. I don't think we can count how many times they've gone through right. and changed their timelines. And the signifier to that is the recording he has in his headphones where he's like playing through a script that right. he's obviously worked out because he's yeah. done it so many times. And, and if if you're watching it closely, that starts right at 20 minutes in. Before mm -hmm. before they, they even reveal the time machine, he's already wearing this and you know taking messages from himself. So right. from the very beginning... We can't even know if they've been messing with the timeline yet or not. And this, this is a very short movie. In those first 20 minutes, um, basically they're just building this device. They don't even know what it is. That That's one of my favorite parts about this movie, actually. It seems like that's actually how time travel would be invented. You yeah. know? They weren't even working on time travel. They they said in the you know narration, they're not even doing anything new. They looked like they were trying to make some levitation device or something like mm -hmm. that and then it ended up being time travel on accident right and so it's like and it's like a tech startup in a garage uh which is a very real world thing and it kind of seemed like shane caruth had come from that world or at least one of the writers had yeah uh, it was realistic <laughs> it's very realistic um and it kind of pokes fun at it too there's some like corporate lingo and uh everyone wears this sort of like mormon uniform yeah. where it's like white dress shirt and a tie and every single person is wearing that exact same thing. Where I feel like that was supposed to be humorous, but from an outsider perspective, I just thought it was kind of weird. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It was, it's it's an interesting movie once it starts getting into the time travel aspect, which is just, what, a six-hour loop? Where they go into the machine, um, and they start the machine, and then six hours later, they come out of it? Or something like that? Right. Well, they start the machine... They run it for six hours. Right. And then they get in the machine. After six hours. And then they sleep in it for six hours, at the end of which they come back where they turned it on. Right. Okay. Uh, and they start using that to make money off of, like, sports bets and stock markets uh, kind of stuff. And then, obviously, right. the temptation gets out of control, and they start, like... Uh, right. And fighting crime and like ripping each other off and there's a lot of betrayal then there's time machines inside time machines yeah <laughs> it definitely snowballs in a really fun way um, yeah and like you said I kind of stopped mapping it out after a certain point I was just like right. kind of just went along for the ride like whenever you see that that investor dude or whatever and he's all drunk and following them and then someone tries to walk up and the dude passes out every time one of the inventors gets near him mm -hmm. it's like well, how can we know anything? Like, right. Where did this come from? 
And there are people who've watched it like hundreds of times trying to figure that out. Mapping it all out. Yeah, like, I don't I don't have the time for that. <laughs> yeah, I think you can just watch it like once or twice and you know, you appreciate it and but I think there's enough there where you could watch it, you know, ten times and try to come up with your own theory and all that. So it it definitely like rewards you with multiple viewings, but it can also be appreciated just like watching it one time. I think Shane Carruth has sort of moved on to, like, I think Upstream Color is just as much of a puzzle, but it's, like, more rewarding in, like... Yeah, it's a more interesting one. puzzle yeah. to me, and I don't know, it's, uh... It, again, like, has an emotional, an emotional core that this one doesn't really have. It's, um, a, it's about mind control, and you gotta see it, man. It's, oh, I definitely uh, plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, so the next movie in the list, uh, speaking of emotions, uh, Triangle. Um, yes. Which may be one of the only films on here I wouldn't technically call sci-fi. Uh, I know there's, it's not the only one, but it's it's almost a supernatural um, uh, yeah. horror. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, well, there's, you know, that section on the boat is like kind of just a horror yeah. movie, but then the kind of bookend parts you know where she's back on the mainland is definitely yeah, i'd call it an absurdist horror movie that makes sense because <laughs> it's definitely all about sisyphus and purgatory and they let you know that it's about sisyphus because they say it like three or four different times yeah the <laughs> name the name of the boat is aeolus right right and that's Sis sisyphus's dad and when they're when they're looking at that picture they tell the story of sisyphus about how he cheated death or made a promise to death mm -hmm. that he couldn't keep, right? And that's uh, kind of the whole setup here is that she's trying to cheat right. uh, an inevitability, which is her exactly. death. Um, and basically, this movie gets compared to time crimes a lot, um, which I get because there's a killer who wears a very similar mask, uh, and right. there's multiple versions of the same person that seems like an enemy, but as the betrayals are revealed, it sort of becomes more logical right. how she would and, and wind up in that situation. she's trying to convince herself to do some pretty horrible things, too. Yeah, like, she like, <laughs> rationalizes some like horrific... She's way worse, I think, than the guy from Time Crimes, too. Because um, there's a lot of dead people in this movie. Piles of dead people. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, it starts with like some like six characters on a boat, and uh, by the end, there's like just hundreds of copies of the same people just piled on top of each other because this character can't move on. She, like, tries to get the situation right uh, through these time right. loops, uh, and it just always ends the same way. Yeah. Um, She's convinced herself that if she kills them, the boat will come back and she can get on it and leave. Yeah. <laughs> but the boat just comes back and more people get on that she has to kill. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, what's so kind of genius about it is even when she gets off... At the end, she thinks she's outside of the loop. Yeah. But that's actually just one small part in a bigger loop. Right. And then you realize, like, there's no way she's ever going to get out of this. Unless she accepts that she's dead and stops the cycle, I guess. Right. But... Because, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, this is another one we're going to have to spoil. Yeah. Think, yeah, yeah. Because in the, in the end... She goes back, gets her kid, and is trying to go away with him, right? Right. And then she gets in a car crash. And her kid is dead, and she feels remorseful well, about... And 
Is she dead too? Though, yeah, she's right? she's also dead. But but then you have but then she gets up and the cab driver is there. Right, the cab driver who right, definitely represents death. death. Right, and I think they even say something when they're on the ship about crossing the river. Right. Death um, takes you across the river, and he promise and Sisyphus makes a promise to death. That's why he keeps going through it. So when the cab driver drops her off. She said at the boat, she's like, "You'll be right back, right? I'm gonna leave the meter running." And she's like, "Yeah, I promise, I'll be right back." She, she doesn't. She gets on, and then it starts. So to me, it was like kind of like a basically like a purgatory. Yeah, for definitely. her, like because she, she hasn't remorse. fully. Yeah, she feels remorse. She hasn't fully accepted her death and like death of her son, and she wants to keep trying to fight it. And she's just on this course that can't be. Corrected, and her remorse is that she um, treats her special needs child, I believe an autistic child, very cruelly and selfishly. Yeah, which is something like I can understand the parent like dealing with that every day. You're, you're gonna do and say some things like you're gonna have an emotional outburst that you don't feel great about. But I think the fact that it happens like right before they die, right? Just, she, she can't just move feels on. Feels responsible it. for everything. And I, I think um, this is one of the more rewarding films to watch multiple times. Like, I've seen Definitely. it probably four or five Definitely. times, and I get goosebumps every single time you go through it. It's like having deja vu, like she said. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that first scene where she first meets everyone on the, the ship, and she sort of accepts that she's going to go through this loop again, uh, they play it... They bookend the film with it at the beginning and the end. It's the exact same interactions. Mm-hmm. And I love how differently it plays uh, at either right. end of right. what she just did. After you've learned all this stuff, yeah, yeah. it has so much <laughs> more weight at the end. To your point about absurdism, like, that's definitely another thing that connected me to the movie because she's basically stuck in this, like, you know, Sisyphean cycle that she can't get out of. But. I guess the meaning that she's trying to get is like the fight itself. Like the fight right, to like to get her son save her son. Save her son, like that gives this whole journey meaning, even though we know that in the end it is meaningless. Like she will So she'll just die. keep piling up the bodies and <laughs> But that's what you know, you feel sympathy for because mm-hmm. that's what you gotta do, you know? So yeah, and that, yeah, that connection to her kid is a really like strong emotional tie that makes it work. Uh, yeah, in a way that's easy to connect to. Um, okay, uh, moving into the top three uh, from nineteen ninety three is Groundhog Day, the much lighter version of Triangle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, Edge and Edge of Tomorrow and yeah. Safety Not Guaranteed in a way. Uh, I think I that's think it's source code. <laughs> well, yeah, dot com, I but... see that. Um, but yes, Groundhog Day. I think Safety Not Guaranteed might be the closest one to it in that it's about sincerity and like uh, dealing with people in an empathetic and sincere way. And this one is also a supernatural crisis where Bill Murray's character just restarts his day every day uh, yeah. for no particular scientific reason, just because he needs to become a better person at the yeah. end of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just a morality play. Oh, totally. Um,. This is taught as one of the best screenplay examples, like most efficient screenplay writing. That's um, something I definitely noticed watching it again was like, that script is on point. Yeah. Like, there is not a missed moment. The jokes are really good. Like, it's still funny today. And just the way the whole 
story is mapped out and it's just like a really awesome well done movie and I, I like and that it's funny it's like really funny <laughs> I like that he has good days where he feels like I was a good person and I tried really hard and I fell in love and I did like sincere things and he still doesn't get out of the loop because he was like trying to manipulate people into that situation right, uh, right. and it wasn't quite like an open hearted uh, you know effort like it was still selfish in some way yeah and it's not just I mean it's not just folk he, the whole time he's trying to win that girl or whatever he right. learns it's not just focusing on her that's going to do it for him it's gotta be helping the town and himself in the end I mean he's gotta make himself a better person in the final run through it seems like every single person in uh, Puxatani has been like touched by Phil, right. by Phil that day exactly which is kind of <clears throat> ridiculous but um, but I guess if you have enough practice, you can make every hour, he is every alive. interaction, like, perfect. <laughs> Got the schedule down. Um, this is another one where you lose track of how many times he's been through it. It's probably in the millions, I'm guessing. Yeah. So he learns to play the piano. Right. He learns to, like... Uh, Tries to kill himself a bunch of times. <laughs> he learns French. Um, it's Yeah, he tries to kill himself. That does not work. He kills himself and the groundhog. Uh, yeah. once, that doesn't work either. Um... <laughs> Does he ever save the homeless person? That was the thing I couldn't... I don't think he did. That's just one of the things he yeah, has to I accept. Think, yeah. yeah, he just had to... Because he tried over and over, and he... But no I think that's, what he did. you know, a kind of central point to, you know, him trying to live the best day possible. Like, part of living a good life is, like, you have to accept some bad things. Like, you're not going to be able to fix all the world's problems. So mm -hmm. just, like acceptance is like part of that whole puzzle he has to figure out how different do you think this movie would be without Bill Murray it wouldn't be nearly as no, good yeah there's something about I mean the script obviously is it's a great script but like Bill Murray adds a lot to I mean he's so funny dude it's it's, it's, it's a one really of those good things, performance too it's one of those things where like he's one of those people that can be a complete asshole at the beginning and you still like him right. like he's still endearing um and it makes sense. Uh, Scrooge is like one of my favorite Christmas movies, and it's kind of the oh, same play. I was thinking that too. How they were similar. It's just him and starting off as an asshole and going through a bunch of comedy until he turns out a better person. Right. Like, yeah. And it, it's just amazing how cynical he can come across and still be likable. Uh, it's actually believable that Andy McDowell could like fall for him in this film, even right. though he's just. One of the cruelest people <laughs> on earth, probably. Yeah, I was just imagining, like, if they did that movie nowadays, maybe they would go with, like, a Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Or, like, you know, the supposedly lovable asshole. asshole, but, like, a lot of the modern actors that might fit that role, like, would not work. Right. Please do not let them remake it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> like, it's a perfect, like, gem of a movie the way it is. We don't need to... Have Will Ferrell star in the Groundhog Day remake. Or Paul Giamatti is another lovable asshole. Maybe they put Bill Murray in it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Groundhog's Day 2. Uh, which, I don't know. I, I, no, I don't want to... No. I'm like thinking, like, it'd be interesting to see, like, what the day after would be like now that yeah. he knows a thousand people he didn't know the day before, but right. uh, there's this uh, video game I played called Life is Strange. Uh huh. That's got like a Groundhog Day. You know, it's got the same time travel thing where you, 
it's more of a interactive uh, story than a video game, but you use similar time travel stuff. They got a scene exactly like where he's in the diner and he's like, I am a god, watch, I'll tell you everything that's going to happen, <laughs> everything about someone. You know, you got to cool. do stuff like that too. It's like Groundhog Day meets uh, Veronica Mars if you're into <laughs> video games. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Um, okay, number two in the list, uh, another one of probably the more iconic examples of the genre is The Terminator from James Cameron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in 1984, uh, this, of course, is Arnold Schwarzenegger as a killer robot from the future sent back to uh, murder a woman who eventually would give birth to a political leader that would lead a revolution to kill the robots. Um, this is another example of my favorite thing, which is the t- self-creating reality where... Uh, right. <laughs> he uh, sent, sends his dad back to impregnate his mom or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> so weird. Um, and... The way he explains it in the film, too, I like, which gives it sort of an out, is that uh, she asks him, like, so you're from my future? And he's like, I'm from one of your possible futures. I don't know how this works. I'm not a scientist. I'm a soldier. Um, (laughs) Just here to do a job. This movie is so good. I had this listed as my number one. It's, um, It's got this sort of, like, Roger Corman dirtiness to it, where it feels like a handmade B picture that just sort of stumbled upon a uh, a um, big Hollywood budget. Um, the second one, I, I grew up thinking that it was the better film because it's a little sleeker. Uh, it's a little more um, like crafted in like an intentional way. But watching The Terminator uh, a few times in the recent years is just like, I marvel at how this movie ever got made in the first place. And just like how well made it is for like an action film. Well, and the the budget was pretty low right. for the first for the one, first. and apparently, you know, a lot of the actors that were in it were kind of doubtful or like skeptical about the movie in general. Uh, but it's such like a tight, like you know, it's just kind of this like constant big chase, long chasing. big long chasing. <laughs> but it's just like done so so perfectly and like the second one is good because it kind of they blow more stuff up you know it's like bigger budget uh, newer effects i mean that Mm -hmm. cool special really good special effects for their time in both movies like but that first one has that very like like you're saying very gritty uh it's like really violent too like you just the scene where you goes in the police station and just kills like 30 cops it's so uh i love this era of 80s action movies like commando and uh robocop yeah uh just like ultra violence but sort of like uh criticizing the idea of violence at the same time yeah Um, well and also something i like from movies from this time period is like the soundtrack too oh yeah like that's another iconic thing about the movie you know, Arnold, like, he only says maybe, I don't know, like, 30 words the entire mm-hmm. movie, but just his presence with that character is, like, They make him into so more menacing. of a, The second one's, like, a likable buddy Right, they, he's the hero in the second one. Right. 
Um, in this, in, in the first one, he is very believable as, like, a mechanical man. Like, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of Arnold movies will go out of their way to avoid the idea of him being from Austria. Like, they just ignore his accent. Like, he'll be, like, a small-town cop in the middle of nowhere. It's like, how did this Austrian dude become a cop? <laughs> yeah. um, and then in this one, there's something very stilted and uh, awkward about his speech patterns that, like works like it just yeah. works for the character yeah um, i love this robot movie. uh is there anything else particularly want to point out about it um uh, i really like the scene where they go to the 80s club and people are dancing and it moves in slow motion there's something really eerie about that mm-hmm. uh the uh home invasion part's amazing uh, i love it when he talks on the phone and other people's voices yeah <laughs> yeah no it's it's the perfect it's awesome, dude. yeah and going with the Roger Corman thing, there's a Dick Miller uh, cameo who's in like almost every Corman production, um, so it gives it like the stamp of approval. And uh, James Cameron actually worked with Corman once before in like a Piranha sequel. Um, Piranha. Uh, so yeah, I, I, this movie's just sort of born of a um, era of filmmaking that I hold in very high regard, and I think this is one of the better examples of it. Um, and then moving into the number one slot which was Brian's number one pick, uh, yeah. and I had never seen before this podcast, um, Slaughterhouse-Five. So uh, this is an adaptation of a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Yeah, I mean, pretty much my favorite time travel story ever is his novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, and this is just a really great adaptation. Vonnegut himself even said so. Like yeah. They ca- captured the novel perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's an impossible and, novel to adapt. Like It's yeah, pretty amazing. I mean, it's about... Billy Pilgrim, who who was, you know, he was in Dresden when they were firebombed as a prisoner of war, and, well, he's unstuck in time, it's the only way to describe it, you know, uh, at random points in his life, he just slips back and forth between, you know, times at the war, when he's getting married, getting awards, whatever, Past, present, and future, like, he mm-hmm. goes into this, like, alien realm, uh, where he's, like, basically in a zoo, while these aliens watch right. him. Right, Tralfamador. Tralfamadorians are just, uh, watching him in this movie star he had a crush on at one point, uh, sort of form this fake domesticity. Right. Um, I, there was a lot of pressure for me to like this, because it was at number one. I was right. like, what the hell? I, <laughs> I, I did not think it would be number one. Um, so, okay. It, it kind of, I don't know. It kind of makes sense, though. Cause it's good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, I almost turned on it early because I really blank out on war movies, mm. and I think on the page the the way war is written in this book is amazing. But oh, yeah. watching it in the film, it's like another seventies war drama. Like I'm just not into this. Right, because I mean that's what they start out with. Really, it's him in the snow getting captured and yeah. stuff. But. Um, it definitely goes into much stranger territory. Yeah, once he starts getting unstuck and slipping back and forth. You know, it's read a lot as a allegory or a metaphor for PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And well, that's how his kids see it, too. His kids are like, you've never been to the planet Trum Alpha Door. Like, right. what are you talking about? <clears throat> but I, what I think is beautiful about the book and also the movie captures it is, like, I do think that... That's pretty much how we experience time. Mm-hmm. Like we, it's not just this linear thing where, when we're like thinking about 
like prior memories or we're fantasizing about what we'll do in the future like very rarely are we actually in the present moment there's always like we're going back and forth in mm -hmm. time in our head and that's sort of again what this movie captures is like this guy's seen a lot of awful stuff in the war and he keeps thinking back to it but he's also trying to kind of create a fantasy world also that like in the future so he's just like not really like in stuck in time right in in the book too like uh he actually goes to before his birth where it's just black nothingness and after his death where it's a maroon nothingness or something <laughs> like that yeah you know they don't go that far in the movie they go all the way to his death you know which he himself predicted and isn't worried about because he's lived through it many times and you know as he said he's unstuck he can go back and forth as he pleases but my favorite idea in this movie about time is the uh, aliens idea and this goes into what you were just saying um, that everything that's happened is always happening and always has happened right uh, which I really like that in like Toni Morrison's novels too and that's like how ghosts exist mm. yeah that, beloved like, yeah. yeah there's like a um, just any space is just like occupied with all these things that have happened in it right. and are going to happen in Go, it. you know ghosts are really just the memories yeah it's of like an impression of an event Right, um, and that and that actually go. I mean, when we go, if we go back to Interstellar or whatever, and we're talking about this relativity. I mean, whenever you talk to physicists, some of them use this frozen river metaphor for time instead of a river that's flowing, you know, always forward. It's a frozen river that we're passing forward through. You know, all of that is always there, and yeah, you know, we just haven't figured out the way to become unstuck yet so we're <laughs> yeah that's like when you master reality is when right. you can like jump around but even he doesn't have control over it it just sort of happens right for him it just happens for the Tralfamadorians though like you said they can see it all and experience it all and and I mean that's that's one of the things they said whenever they were in that zoo or whatever mm -hmm. he's like wait so I'm just in this dome I can't leave of here of my own free will and the Tralfamadorians are like We've been to many planets across the universe, and this is the only one where they talk about free will, you know? So everywhere else, they all know it's all happening, and it's all happened, and it's always going to happen, but... I was curious about um, their curiosity about mating. Like, if, they're, if they've seen the past and the future, and they know everything... Why are they so concerned about whether or not the two are mating the whole time? Which I, I know is sort of like an absurd like humor yeah. aspect. I'm like, are you mating now? Is this sex? <laughs> Trying to trying to set up the spot in the zoo so they could all come and visit it. I mean, it's like they said you have to focus on the good parts and ignore the bad. Mm -hmm. So they want to know the matings there so they can focus on that part yeah. and ignore the rest. Wow. <laughs> um, I I think this movie plays with time a lot more freely than most of the films. Like there's like a a hard uh, you know, something like Primer where like there's a hard loop where you know exactly how the time travel works. This one just sort of makes a collage out of different time right. frames, and it's fascinating to watch like how all that interacts. Yeah, like at one point, uh, he's the prisoner of war, and they're taking pictures of him for their whatever, their propaganda, and then he slips into the future where he's opening up his uh, eyeglasses store or something, and they're taking pictures <laughs> of him for the newspaper. Yeah, and that was a really clever... Thing that kept happening in the movie is the way they would join different 
time periods, it would be something yeah, like you, that. Just like you could really see why he came unstuck at that point and yeah. slipped to the other thing, how they were connected. And again, like that's how it works. A lot of times, you see something that reminds you of a memory you had, and it brings you back to that time. And that's that's why I'm happy, kind of, that this is number one because it's sort of. Uh, kind of like subverts the whole idea of time travel in the sense of like you don't really need a machine to go back in time you can just do it in your own head yeah and so yeah so I, that's why I really liked it but um I sort of doubted that you could adapt a Kurt Vonnegut novel I stand corrected you can do it and they, they've definitely done <laughs> bad ones too oh, yeah, Breakfast Cats of Champions yeah. oh wait Bruce Willis yeah so it's really bad. I've not been watched that one. So <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we head out? Um, uh, farewell, hello, farewell, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to come back and do movies that didn't make the list, like maybe Source Code, mm-hmm. um, Twelve Monkeys, and yeah. uh, there's this movie Predestination I want y'all to watch. So that'd be right. that'd be fun if you if you're there's up another to one it. called About Time that I haven't seen, but it's supposed to be good too. And then there's the H.G. Wells just time machine. There's like two adaptations of that we didn't even bother with. Yeah, and we didn't mention Harry Potter and <laughs> Prisoners of Azkaban. That's one of my favorite ones because like that's another one where they have the logic really well made out. Mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Technically, yeah. I think that was bottom of the barrel Definitely. as far as how we voted. Um, Army of Darkness. Oh, yeah. I would never have... I hate that movie. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Is there anything you want to promote while you're here, Brian? I know you got a lot of projects. Oh, no. I always got my books. Uh, been getting some good reviews on the, the audiobook, especially for the acting. So, Murder in Utopia, if you want to check it out. And that's on Amazon? Yeah. Amazon, Audible, iTunes, either one. And you have BrianPerkinsAuthor.com? Yeah. Brian with a Y, Perkins. <laughs> okay. I'm going to link to that on the thing. Um, also... I just uploaded, I want to say, almost 600 of our reviews to Letterboxd in the last few weeks. So if you keep track of movies through Letterboxd, go ahead and look up Swamp Flicks and follow us so I don't <laughs> feel like I just wasted two weeks of my time. Um, and uh, we'll catch you all next time. We'll talk about something else. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. Ah!